Welcome to Therapy on the Cutting Edge, a podcast for therapists who want to be up to date on the latest advancements in the field of psychotherapy. I'm your host, Dr. Keith Sutton, a psychologist in the San Francisco Bay Area and the director of the Institute for the Advancement of Psychotherapy. Today, I'll be speaking with Sheila Rubin, who is a marriage and family therapist and a leading authority on healing shame. She developed the Healing Shame Therapy work over the last two decades and is the co-director with Brett Lyon of the Center for Healing Shame in Berkeley, California. Sheila has delivered talks, presentations, and workshops across the country and around the world at conferences from Canada to Romania. She's a board-certified trainer through NADTA and past adjunct faculty for the California Institute of Integral Studies Drama Therapy Program and JFK University's Somatic Psychology Department. Sheila's expertise, teaching, and writing contributions have been featured in numerous publications, including seven books. Sheila offers therapy through her private practice in Berkeley and online via Zoom. She also provides consultations to therapists via Skype and leads workshops in Berkeley internationally and online. You can learn more about her workshops, writing, and on-demand trainings at healingshame.com. Let's listen to the interview. Well, hi, Sheila. Thank you so much for meeting with me today. Hi, Keith. It's such an honor to meet you. It feels like a long time, and I'm so honored to be doing this podcast with you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I've been seeing your workshops. We're, we're both in the Bay Area, and uh, you do workshops on shame, and I, it's it's been at the top of my list to, to come and check one of them out. Um, you know, shame is a, it's an interesting topic. Um, I actually, in my, uh, when it, first, when I get to grad school, I had to do like a project and they gave us different kind of theorists and I had Alfred Adler and uh, yeah. the, the inferiority complex. And, and that kind of struck me. And shame is a, a thing that comes up with many of my clients with complex trauma, um, a lot of my clients with ADHD. Yeah. And um, so I, I'm really interested in this, this topic, this subject, um, so I'd love to hear about, about your thoughts on that and your work with shame. Um, but few, before we even get into that, I, I always like to hear about people's kind of progression of their work and how you got to doing what you're doing, kind of the evolution of your, your thinking yeah. that got you here. I love that question. And I'm, I'm closing my eyes for a minute to just take a breath. Um, it's so precious that we get to spend this time together. And I was so excited I came two weeks early and then I came a <laughs> week early. <laughs> and it was like, yeah. I just, I so, um, the work that I'm doing is life-changing for people and it has been for me personally. And I just, I mean, I feel like I have been a researcher of shame since I was very young. I did not know it was shame. Mm -hmm. I knew that it was like feeling like down here when the other yeah. kids were up here or way down here when the other kids were up there. So initially I worked with my shyness and wow. I worked with my, you know, I like that word inferiority. It's like I had, you know, I always had that thought. It's like, well, something must be wrong with me. So if I could just do the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> Then I would get it right. So I became a magician and started entertaining the kids and I made kids happy. And I noticed that when I was entertaining, the kids were laughing, they were clapping, they were dancing around in circles. Uh -huh. And that made me feel like, wow, I can really do something. So 
between like very young and 18, I was a children's performer and then and storyteller. And so I learned how to heal my shyness with entertaining people and heal my shyness with making the kids happy. Mm -hmm. So by the time I became a therapist, which was, you know, many, many years later, I had figured out all these different things. I had the inner critic, you know, I went to graduate school, I became a drama therapist, uh -huh. and I studied Hakomi, and eventually a drama therapist. I'm like, okay, there's psychodrama, and we work with all the different emotions, and there yeah. was even shame there. But I didn't know how to isolate shame, and I didn't know how to join with the inner critic, mm -hmm. talk to the inner critic. I didn't really know how to have my voice. And so a long story went, I then she became trained in EFT and ADP. Uh -huh. And I was the eating disorder specialist at a, a psychiatric program mm -hmm. many years ago. Wow. And I noticed my clients, they had this fierce inner critic. Yeah. And it was like I knew how to talk to their inner critic. Mm. And they were like, how do you know about this inner critic? And I'm like, I don't know, but I think I have the same inner critic. I don't have an eating disorder, but I have the same inner critic sure. putting me down, saying all these different things. And I had to be friends with the inner critic mm. to be able to work with these, you know, women. And first it was the women and I used DBT, uh -huh. CBT, LMNOP, QRST, everything <laughs> that we were supposed to do. But I was adding my shame component and I was adding my working with shame back in the hospital at work with the women, it worked with people in partial hospitalization, it worked mm -hmm. with depressed people, it worked with people who had PTSD, it worked with that little question that I would ask about, we would do DPT, we would do CBT, and I would say, are you secretly putting yourself down right now? And they're like, uh, caught me. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's who I want to talk to. <laughs> So gradually I learned how to isolate the inner critic and support all of the sources that a person had to challenge the inner critic and uh -huh. all of their psychological devices that got in the way of that. And then eventually I just like, there was, I mean, there was nothing available to work with shame. And around the time I met Brett, it's like he wanted to do a workshop on shame and so, and I'm like, sure, I'll assist you on the workshop on shame. Yeah. And it was like, he knew about male shame. Uh -huh. And I'm like, well, I know about female shame and I know about all pervasive shame. And mm -hmm. so we teamed up and, um, you know, we had this, you know, we created the Center for Healing Shame based on all of our workshops. So we have people from Canada and yeah. all over the world come to study with this because they're like, yeah, I have this voice in my head that tells me there's something wrong with me. And I'm like, that's shame. Yes, yes. So I didn't, when I was, I went to a, um, I forget his name, the fellow that created polyvagal theory. Um, I was at an attachment conference several years ago in LA. Uh -huh. He was presenting 
about polyvagal theory and yes. all how it runs through the nervous system and the, the mind, you know, what the mind does and what the brain does and what all yeah. of these things. And I'm like, this thing that I have been researching in myself and my clients, guess what? It's shame. Yeah, yeah. Simply and most profoundly, it's shame. All the ways that shame shows up, all of mm -hmm. the things that the automatic thoughts and the sensations yeah. and... So I was writing my thesis years ago, and I my brain went into this freeze of like, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, you can't write, you can't write. And I didn't know at the time that that was a reaction to shame, mm. but I had to figure out every way to get, you know, beyond that voice, actually write my thesis, actually do eventually more writing, but... Yeah that voice mm. that stopped me and froze me that was shame mm. and to be able to say to people you know this voice and it's so different for men for women everybody yeah. it's different and uh so you know brett didn't think he had shame and so when we started working together and when we started dating it was like we had kind of the opposite parts of you know, our teaching and we were a really good teaching team because, you know, he has the male shame, I have the female shame. And then, you know, everything kind of goes out from there because being able to lower the playing field and say to people in the workshop, you know, we understand enough about our own shame mm -hmm. that we can counter shame people yeah. in the group and we understand enough about our own shame um so you know we have all these tools and techniques and things that we could teach people yeah meanwhile you know it's like it starts with that i've been always researching shame mm -hmm. and i always noticed it between my parents i always yeah. noticed it between kids at school i always noticed it way back be before as a therapist by the time i was a therapist it's like I look for that place that gets in between a person and their creativity. Yes. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. So it's that shame that's kind of getting in the way of that creativity or kind of blocking. You You're not good enough or you can't go outside yourself and do that or, or such. Exactly. Yeah. That yeah. is, that's how the shame would show up in, in everybody. It's different. And I would ask these key questions when I start working with people. It's like, you know, what, what, you know, where, you know, where are you in your life process? And, you know, if you could have something in your life that you really wanted, let's talk about what gets in the way of that. Yeah. And that's a shame. Mm. They don't know it's shame. Sure. Sure. <laughs> they think it's, you know something yeah yeah and how do you kind of um conceptualize shame or kind of define it and and kind of yeah how we develop that inner critic or how we overcome it um I love your questions. yeah about the polyvagal and and stephen porsche's uh um yeah. work and we had a we had deb dana on the podcast also talking about polyvagal tell me about that also how that connected to the shame you know that is the missing piece because once I figured out the polyvagal piece and how it re, re, 
active to shame, mm. I was able to go backwards and forwards to all the times that I had frozen before a lecture, frozen yeah. before, you know, talking to my students, or back in the olden days when I was a kid and I was too shy and I would, you know, I would just go into this, you know, uh, collapse. And so being able to realize that shame is going to affect our brain. Mm -hmm. It tells us we're stupid and it affects our brain because it lowers affect. So it's like one of the basic things about shame is like if a person goes into a shame posture, it's like looking down, yeah. looking down. And so they're looking down. It's like can't breathe. They're worried about themselves. They can't look out there and see somebody else. And so when a person goes into shame, the whole nervous system starts to collapse. And so part of the, um, you know, being able to restore uh, breathing, grounding, uh -huh. support, the attachment through me and the client, because yeah. shame is the breaking of the interpersonal bridge, which is what um, Gershon Kaufman said. So I say to my clients, if something happened and we're going to find out how to restore it between you and I right now. Yeah. And, you know, if, if I missed you or something, you know, if there's a misunderstanding, let me know, because I want to fix it. I want to repair it. And so part of it is, um, you know, kind of the shame is a primary emotion and is simply a primary emotion that tells us to stop yeah stop pause wait it helps us feel uncomfortable it starts showing up in the nervous system as discomfort or on one level it's shyness discomfort in the middle there's humiliation and all the way down here is there's like excommunication and mm -hmm. getting kicked out of the tribe so being able to run up and down that line with people yeah. and figure out where do they get stuck and yeah. where do they, you know, how can we get unstuck during the session? Mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, understanding about shame, I always do psycho ed about shame. And it's like, if you're putting yourself down, <laughs> while we're talking, let me know so we could talk about that. And sure. so part of this is shame in the nervous system. And then when there's shame, there's shame around shame. And so the person goes into their shame around shame. And then they might freeze or they might get quiet or they might completely, completely collapse. And so yeah. teaching them that and saying that is shame. Mm. So that so the shame kind of takes them into that uh, uh, sympathetic or that dorsal. Yes and kind of that dorsal state of collapse or shutdown um, yes you know, kind of that uh, that polyvagal theory yeah and absolutely that. and it's in that shutdown and it's like you got the foot on the brake and you got the foot on the gas at the same time it's very similar to trauma yeah. so when somebody's in shame they can't you know if it's severe shame they can't speak they can't talk they can't even think clearly and their, you know, mind is running a mile a minute trying to figure out whatever, whatever, whatever. And so yeah. 
being able to normalize that and say, I wonder what just say, you know, what just happened. Let's slow that yeah. way down. Yeah, and I'm I'm the way I think about it too. You're talking about shame as a primary emotion. I, I do emotionally focused couples therapy, and yeah. I will sometimes talk to clients about the secondary emotions, you know, anger, anxiety, yeah. helpless, and then the primary emotions, feeling hurt, sad, fear, alone, and shame. But I kind of say that shame's in the middle because really underneath shame is fear. And I think like you were spot, talking about kind of being forced out of the tribe, or if I'm really this bad, yeah. who would want to be? especially in a couple relationship that kind of fear that and so sometimes the only the only option is right to collapse or to defend um and kind of try to point out i'm not so bad i'm not right. and the amazing thing about shame what you're saying is it's there to protect us mm. we cannot handle shame it is too painful the nervous system splits off into attack self attack other deny or withdraw yeah. sometimes all at once it's like a pinball machine sure i get two couples together and they're like it's your fault it's your fault it's your yep, fault yep. it's your fault and they're both going off into the pinball machine but shame goes off in the the attack self that i saw with the women in the eating disorder program mm -hmm. they were attacking themselves through using food mm -hmm. the guys in the in the in the hospital at that time you know they were attacking others they were putting everybody else down there's yeah. also the withdraw the depression the pulling away and then there's the dissociation from the shame mm -hmm. drugs alcohol all of that and yeah. so being able to figure out where somebody tends to go and help them kind of like really figure out you know it's so automatic that when people figure it out, often I'll put the map there. Yeah, yeah. It's like, where do you usually go? And they're like, this is embarrassing. But once we look at the chart a couple times, it's not as embarrassing because it's like the Rosetta Stone. They're able to see what is actually happening, and it's going to make a lot more sense in the couple. And sure. Yeah, so they kind of can can see the processes that are happening, kind of where they're going and how their uh, nervous system is responding. And tell me, how do you conceptualize shame? How do you how do you talk about shame or explain shame to clients or in, well, yeah professionals? I think right now I talk about um, it, it. There's so many different levels to shame. The first level of shame is just kind of like. If a person's going to get up on stage and they have the imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. you know, that they can't talk or they're going to freeze up or they might die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's shame. Um, and shame is also kind of like feeling, you know, like they're not good enough for all of the, you know, kind of all of the different um, automatic thoughts that can go along with shame. Uh -huh. And I like to say that there's an evolutionary purpose to shame. Mm. So back when I was working with people in the hospital years and years ago who had an addiction, they would be looking at the addiction and all the different ways that the addiction was, you know, you know, the different direction that the addiction was, you know, telling them. And, and there was, you know, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? You know, what is, <laughs> What is all that? Yeah. And it would be they're like, you know, I hate myself, so I'm gonna drink. And I'm like, right, okay, that's going round and round and round. I taught them some mindfulness. 
which yeah. helped a little bit, but they would end up back in it. And eventually I said, they needed to work with the shame mm-hmm. because the shame was just going to put them back in eating disorder, put them back in a drinking situation, put them back, you know, with bad behavior. So I say there's an evolutionary purpose of shame. And for me, it was to move from my shyness to being able to talk about shame with therapists and teach people all over the world. And, you know, everybody has an evolutionary purpose to shame. And if they're stuck in the couple and they're doing the blame shame game, I say, might that be here if there was an evolutionary purpose to shame, if you could, you know, change one thing about yourself before you attack yourself or attack your other, you know, as a reaction to shame or the withdrawal or the pull away. If you could change one thing and just be a little different with yourself, maybe something could be a little bit, you know, different in the relationship, or maybe something could be a little bit different with a person's self-esteem. So tell me more about the, the, evolutionary purpose so we were kind of talking about right there's three types of shame there's the like stage fright type kind of freezing shame and then you were saying about the not good enough and and about the evolutionary purpose of shame can you talk a little bit about that what is the evolutionary purpose of shame let's say somebody has all pervasive shame and that might be somebody who's um you know low self-esteem you know not able to get very far in their life if they think, you know, and they have a voracious inner critic that keeps attacking them. And then for them, the evolutionary purpose of shame might be, I might talk to them about, you know, what's getting in their way, Mm -hmm. given their family of origin, given, you know, their history and all of that. Then I might talk with, well, if you didn't have this voracious inner critic, or if you didn't have this, you know, part that was putting you down, or if shame actually freezes, there's a shame freeze that happens in the body. If that wasn't happening, yeah. and we could access your creativity, what would you do? Would you become a singer? Mm-hmm. Would you become a teacher? Would you become a musician? Would you become a, you know, sure. <laughs> you know, it's like, so the evolutionary purpose of shame for each person is kind of to unlock their who they would be if their shame wasn't triggered as much as it is. Mm-hmm. And because shame exists in the body as much as the mind, to be able to name those words, you know, what if your shame could be evolutionary? What if it could be purposeful? What if it could help you set boundaries if you need to set boundaries? What if it could help you Uh say no if you need to say no? What if it could help you do the next level of your life if that's what you wanted? And what if you could actually have a good relationship with shame instead of, you know, it's this horrible thing that attacks them every day? Does that make sense? Well, give me actually. Um, so I'm trying to wrap my head around this. So tell me about that. So so shame then leading to setting boundaries. Tell me about how 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 that would go. Well, uh, everybody's different. Um, if it's somebody that's having trouble setting boundaries, let's say it's somebody that has um, 
you know, she's, you know, wants to go back to school and she's driving her kids to school and she's like, well, I can't, you know, I can't go back to school this year because, you know, my kids are going to be here for another five years. And, yeah. and I might, you know, and if she goes in like this, she starts <laughs> pulling like that, I might say, oh, I noticed you put your head down when you, when you talk about, you know, wishing you could go back to school, but you can't do it because you have to drive your kids to school. And I might say something like, you know, if you could have that, and if we could have, you know, a part of you, instead of putting yourself down, that there's something wrong with you, with that part instead uh -huh. could come forward like a shield and say, no, I can't drive them to school mm. this week, or I can't drive them to school right now. Yeah. So I'm going to start a new plan, and that would be boundary setting, and that would be kind of career development or whatever. Yeah, and it's so different for everybody. So, like, rather than kind of reacting to the shame and going to like a place of helplessness, yeah. take shame as a signal to then kind of indicate that actually it it's telling you that you might need to set boundaries or something, or like kind of like the. The, you know, somebody touches the stove and it, they pull their hand away. They're kind of yeah. using that as, as something to help inform them or, or guide them. Yes, exactly. Got it. Got it. It's, that's the boundary thing. And then everybody's different. And for some people, it's about boundaries. And for some people, it's about self-expression. Yeah. So, you know, some of my clients are secret artists and they've been painting for, you know, 50 years and yeah. never done a show. And I'm like, okay, how about this year? And they're like, not yet. So I say, maybe there's a developmental purpose to shame. Maybe there's an evolutionary purpose to shame that, you know, why didn't you show your paintings? Because your father would have torn up your pictures or whatever. So we go backward and forward in time. And then I say, well, if we transfer that shame or we give the shame back uh, imaginally and take back the dignity that she didn't get growing up about her artwork, maybe now as an adult, she could actually have a show. Sure. Be her evolutionary purpose of shame in her family, in her <laughs> showing you know, the bigger world. And it's like really cool. Yeah, and I, I've been kind of thinking, um, uh, we also had Dick Schwartz on the uh, program and he had a, I went to a conference of his and kind of that idea of getting to know these parts. And I think you've talked about that, getting to know the shame. Because yeah, in that situation, sometimes, especially in a traumatic situation, right, the shame is a way to kind of keep the person safe, right? Kind of not showing your artwork because it'll get ripped up or something like that by the parent. Or, you know, sometimes I think about it too, when somebody grows up in a complex PTSD situation, right. they do something and the parent reacts and the shame tells them, oh, you shouldn't have done that. Or you should have, you know, figured that out where as a child, they don't have the abstract thinking to realize it's really not about me. It's really about my parent who's volatile or reactive. And it's not, I, I have no control in this situation. So the shame kind of comes in to say like, you should have not been so loud or you shouldn't have done this or whatever. So sometimes it's very scary to, not have the shame as an adult because it protected for so long yeah yeah and that you know what you're talking about it's like when i work with all the different parts you know i work with because i'm a drama therapist i have a couple magic wands um <laughs> <laughs> just, no 
and I have all these different objects. And so I have people talking to their shame or I talk to their shame or I talk to the parent. Yeah. And so we can go back in time. We can replay a situation and work with those interjected parts. And instead of the shame part, then the person becomes a hero and they can bring their hero part forward mm. because you know shame is such a um a, you know it can be such a debilitating thing and so to be able to rescue more and more of their parts counter shame them have them live in a forward motion you know forward moving motion yeah then good things can happen Sure, definitely. So now the so there's the shame as the like stage fright type free shame, the not good enough shame. What was the third kind of shame? Oh, there's mil millions of shame. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's um, you know, the third kind of shame I talked about there is um kind of the humiliation shame. Mm. It's like if somebody feels humiliated, and that might happen if somebody, you know, they shows up for work and they found out that somebody's already been hired and they, you know, they show up to their desk and they're like, what's going on here? Why am I, you know, why can't I go to my desk? And they're like, oh, new company, you're being, you know, like, oh, or whatever it is, you know, in front of everybody. You know, that happened to one of my clients a couple of years ago. And I'm like, they didn't even tell you. And they're like, they walk out in front of everybody. You know, it's like terrible so the humiliation that can happen with that and it's, so it's like a person if they have a lot of healthy reserves if they have a lot of grounding and secure base they can work with that humiliation and mm -hmm. let it go but if they don't have a lot of emotional reserves then the humiliation you know kind of can take them down for sometimes a couple of years until they yeah. go see a therapist and, and figure out about the shame that got put on them. And so the way through that is multi-layered and leveled of just kind of like working with the different parts and the you know humiliation. It's on this continuum of shame. And to be able to understand that it's on the continuum of shame. Sometimes for people they're like oh yeah. <laughs> it's like it makes sense that i would feel this way you know it's yeah. like it's on the continuum of shame and then i might say are there other things you know do you ever get stuck do you ever feel um you know like you can't think right you know all these other things that are on this continuum of shame you know that the person may or may not have you know talked about to themselves sure. You know, be able to counter shame them and get curious. And the key yeah. to all of this is being curious. Mm -hmm. Definitely, yeah, being curious and kind of befriending the shame or getting to know it or what it's what it's needing to tell you. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, great. So that so yeah, tell me a little bit about kind of your ideas about what heals shame or what. You know, yeah, for example, like you're talking I, about the the when with the eating disorders and I'm working with a client of mine, she when she was much younger having eating disorders, um, she's made very much progress in lots of areas and I've done individual and family work with her and and, and her uh, partner, but there still is so many of those shoulds 
So many of those, you know, we were even talking about what she wants to do this weekend. She's like, well, I should have all these plans or I should, you know, plan activities. Her husband was going out of town. She was going to be with her daughter. And I said, but what do you want to do? And she said, I just want to relax around the house, maybe make nice breakfast, you know, like maybe clean up a little. And, and so we looked at that, right. Cause she felt like that's wrong or lazy or, and those, and that those shoots kind of are throughout her life. Yeah. Tell me about that. How, how do you think about that or how you work through that with the, the client? A brilliant question. Those shoulds are actually the perfectionism. There's all different parts of shame and that's the perfectionism part of shame. Yeah. Somebody has a million shoulds and if they could just, you know, do the next this, do the next that, whatever it is, then they can relax, but they never get to pleasure and they never get to have fun and so what I do is I say what if this is a no should weekend yeah (laughs) what if your job this weekend there's no shoulds what if this weekend all you have to do is have fun and if you can't have fun for the whole weekend how about an hour and if not an hour how about 10 minutes And if not 10 minutes, maybe one minute, but for one minute, being able to feel a little bit of pleasure or a little bit of ease or a little bit of comfort and a little bit of, you know, like good enough. And that's like a way to counter the shame because yeah. all of those shoulds are, you know, can be really toxic and attack a person and they don't get to really enjoy their life because they're doing the list yeah yeah very good and i and i'm wondering too about it makes me think about those kind of more stubborn shoulds or the exactly kind of what you're talking about with the perfectionism and and the way that i've kind of conceptualized perfection it's not like everything has to be perfect like tied with a bow kind of martha stewart you know perfect and clean and such but oftentimes a lack of tolerance for any mistakes like my clients they might do a hundred things right but if they do one thing wrong it's all bad or it's kind of and exactly with the shame it's like i screwed up with that therefore it re- it 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 it, val- it basically reinforces that i am worthless or bad or something all that good stuff kind of doesn't count um yeah i was i loved it what do you That's shame. That's shame. what do you do when it's so and particularly for some clients especially i do a lot of work with adhd adults that the perfectionism is kind of the thing that also sometimes helped them be successful. I think about like almost they're like kind of whipping the horse to get it to go. And then, but they're beating it so much, it's like passed out and and they don't, they're scared to let go of that because then they're just gonna do nothing or they're gonna, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, for that, I might say there's an evolutionary purpose to your habit. And the reason you've been beating the horse, you know, for this point in your life is because it, you know, how this person gets successful and that's really wonderful and then part of being alive is having fun enjoying things and all of that and so saying to those adhd clients it's like you know one of the benefits of adhd is that you can have super hyper focus Mm -hmm. and you can also have um, you can turn off that super hyper focus with music or with pleasure or with dance or with something and figure out what that client enjoys and help them have, you know, two minutes or an hour of 
something different and letting them play and instead of the instead of the part that beats themselves up having them say the way to win this next game is not by doing <laughs> something right it's by not doing something which is impossible and mm -hmm. so for them to just notice that's a conundrum they're like what? sure the shame comes up and tells them that it's impossible. And then I'll say it's impossible to do it right. It's impossible to do it wrong. And in that in-between place is this amazing thing called good enough. Mm -hmm. And that in-between place is that wonderful place called being human yeah. and being good enough. And we get to have a little bit of it some of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I imagine that's where the compassion comes in because I've been really getting interested in compassion focused therapy and reading, um, you know, more about that. And, and it seems like it's really also a, another avenue to kind of address shame. But like you're saying that that good enough and, and kind of having that compassion to, to be able to be there rather than that harsh critic of always getting it right or perfect. Yeah, I love your questions. You know, the compassion, you know, what I say to people is there's an exercise I have them do for compassion. I have them like rub their hands and then just kind of put one hand here and breathing in and breathing out and just kind of say, breathing in, I'm good enough. Breathing out the shame. Breathing in. Mm. Good enough. Breathing out the shame. Yeah. Of course, the shame is going to attack them. So mm. then I say, we might need a second hand to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, breathing in with compassion and breathing out the shame. Mm. And just kind of like normalizing that we're human. Mm -hmm. We're not supposed to work 24 hours a day. We're human and we're supposed to rest. <laughs> we're supposed to have fun. Yeah. And part of healing the shame is being kind to ourselves. And so, you know, a lot of my clients, it's like I'm trying to explain to them, you know, just on that list of a million things to do, have another page. That just has one thing to do, which is love yourself. Yeah. 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 And it's, uh, I, it, so it sounds like kind of the one piece is like the psychoeducation that this is even shame and that yeah. this is the physio physiological kind of response to shame. And even like you're saying, kind of breaking out the parts of the inner critic and so on. And then kind of, having them do small bits of the alternative as hearing you saying just a couple minutes of doing this or so on or that that kind of other side uh, of kind of the thing of of letting go or of um yeah whatever relaxing or something like that um so it sounds like that that kind of that there's some parts work in here there's some kind of psychoeducation there's some mindfulness and then kind of listening to it and kind of seeing what it, it needs to tell you to kind of go in a, a different direction, like sound, setting the boundaries or whatever it might be to, to be curious and present with it. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a beautiful um, summary 
of the first level of the work, it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, all of that. Mm -hmm. And when a person starts to have a little bit of mindfulness, a little bit of self-compassion, and when the client is able to kind of like notice when they're going into shame, and instead of going into shame, put a hand on their heart or take some breaths or, you know, maybe write something down instead of beating themselves up. When they start to do a little bit of the vehemence attack that has been going on for a lifetime and something different starts to happen, which is the kindness and the compassion, it's like people wake up. Yeah. They start to wake up. The opera singer that came to our workshop started mm -hmm. singing opera after like I don't know how many years. And the you know, a lot of people are, you know, scared artists and they take our workshops and they start painting again or doing this or that again. And so part of this is the creativity. You mm -hmm. know, there's a shame fear bind and there's a shame anger bind. And our yeah. theory is that you know, shame in anger bind to protect the person from uh you know hurting a parent if they're if they're in a shame situation mm -hmm. growing up and the anger would come up and they would get angry at the parent and the shame comes in to protect them and says don't get mad at the parent they could hurt you or stop beating yeah. you or something so you know on a very core level you know when somebody starts to move out of these uh habitual shame states the creativity comes back and they yeah. start remembering you know what they right. wanted in their life and they start you know having little things and it's just like you know people say you know i take your workshop and my life is changing as a therapist and my clients lives are changing and i you know i just thought i came for ce's but it's like so much more than that well, and that shame and anger also makes me think of, um, you know, sometimes, especially with, again, a lot of my clients, I do a lot of work with couples and and when also in complex PTSD and that where it's a very sometimes black and white kind of all or none. And, and the, it seems like the flip side of shame is blame because, and I was just working with a client the other day and she said, you know, he's been great and I feel bad because I yelled at him, but I can't forgive him for what he did. And I said, if you did forgive him, what then? She said, well, then I'm the bad one. I'm horrible. Right. So, so she she even cognitively got that she, you know, he he was wonderful and he screwed up and upset her, but he repaired. But then it was she she had a hard time letting that go because it either goes back to they're bad or I'm bad. And, and that is that's the catch 22. Mm -hmm. And that is the rules. Many families are set up. There has to be a bad guy. Yeah, and there has to be a bad guy. Like that perpetrator victim. Right. Kind of you got it. Perpetrator yeah. victim. Either they're the bad guy or I'm the bad guy, you know. And this is a different world. This is a different world where when there's blame, there's shame. When there's shame, there's blame. It goes back and forth and back and forth. And there's a new possibility with the, you know, kind of evolutionary purpose of shame is what if nobody was the bad guy? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> right. And what if your client, instead of saying, you know, he's the bad guy or she's the bad guy, what if 
like you know sue johnson talks about it maybe it's the the cycle that is the bad guy and yeah. nobody's a bad guy and it's kind of projected out front and so i say maybe it's shame that's a bad guy maybe it's shame itself mm -hmm. blame shame and we could work with all these different ways of working with shame over time so that there's not a bad guy yeah and i found too that you know um particularly you know sometimes in my couples where somebody's Typically, when anybody is kind of talking about, oh, this thing hurt me that you did, sometimes the reaction is, well, let me explain why it wasn't my intent or right. that or something so you don't feel bad or, um, well, I was justified because of this or that or, well, you're being too sensitive or, you know, well, uh, you know, well, you do it too or something like that. So essentially, right. I'm not the bad guy because usually we're not intending to hurt the other person or, you know, kind of doing it out of malice. So hearing that, you know, again that shame of like well if i really am that hurtful person who's going to be with that person and so i have to defend against it um but i also find too that the shame kind of gets in the way of the empathy again sometimes in my clients where there is more of that black and white or structural dissociation where when the one partner is talking about their hurt the other one will sometimes react with frustration or anger to kind of get away from that shame and the shame kind of blocks the empathy because if they actually connect with the part of themselves that has felt what it's felt like to be hurt in that way, it also kind of then they are the the, the perpetrator, like their abusive parent or something like that. So they get away away from that. And so it gets in the way of also the connection and being kind of with the, the their partner. It's just so tender. It's so tender what you're describing. It's like, yeah, you're seeing the shame you're seeing it come up in your couples. You're seeing it come up to try and protect somebody. And the problem is when shame comes up, there's either attack self. Mm -hmm. <laughs> What's wrong with me? It's my fault. Yeah, yeah. Attack other. He's a bad guy. Or deny. I didn't do it. Or withdraw. Just kind of pulling away and withdrawing. I pause in those moments. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, let's pause here. Yeah. <laughs> let's figure out. Of these four reactions to shame, which one is coming up and can we counter shame that? The key at my work is to counter the shame and say, we're all imperfect beings. We're all yeah. doing the best we can. And what can you learn from that rather mm -hmm. than, you know, going into the shame again? It's right. like, is there something that can be learned from? And you just said the four kind of reactions. Can you go over those again? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is like a Rosetta Stone of shame. Sure. Attack self, attack other, deny, and withdraw. Mm. Other, deny, or withdraw. And then th these are from, um, you know, Donald Nathanson's book, Shame and Pride. Um, and he says that in every moment we're balancing between shame and pride and mm. that these reactions to shame, it, a person is not going to automatic, they're not going to know what they're doing. It's automatic. And yeah. to be able to slow a couple down, mm -hmm. or a person down and just say, wait a minute, what happened? Yeah. You know, and just say, I noticed something and I wonder if maybe... You know, you're mad at me because I said this, or you're mad at your partner because I said this, and you're putting yourself down, or you're putting them down. 
maybe what's in the middle of all this is the uncomfortable, great, terrible. Yeah. Shame that's too difficult to handle. And what if I hold the shame to the side? And so nobody yeah. has to hold the shame. I can hold it. I can put it over there. I have yeah. lots of objects that can hold the shame for me so that I don't have to, you know, get exhausted. But I explain to people that they've been holding shame for a lifetime mm -hmm. and put it down for a little bit in the session. Mm -hmm. And I can interview the shame and find out why is it uh, putting them down. Mm -hmm. Or I can just kind of like put it aside for a little bit and find out what is the message that was put on this person that they no longer need. And we can work with that interject. Yeah. Sometimes change happens. Mm. So kind of by externalizing the part and kind of getting to know it and kind of shifting the relationship rather than just being something that's in me something that i've got a relationship with kind of helps to to shift that that's exactly what we're doing yeah yes. great wonderful and um yeah any I, I, any pieces that we've missed that you think are really important for me to know or the listeners to know about shame uh-huh are there any pieces we're missing? Yeah, yeah. Any pieces that that are because um, and I love you know kind of hearing all these different aspects. Yeah, I just want to make sure we get to all the the. Well, I guess I would say um I I will say some pieces and I also want to say we have some free webinars about shame on our website www.healingshame.com as well as workshops for therapists um in our website. But you know, reading about shame, it's so. There's so many levels in the complexity of shame. That's why we have these three articles so people can like, you know, read them and download them. Yeah. Oh, I thought that was her fault and it's my fault, or I thought that was this and a shame. And so what I would say in closing is just that shame is a multi-headed hydra. And yeah. just when we think that we have figured out the shame with a couple or with an individual, the shame is going to come up in a different way. And so mm -hmm. to be able to be ready for, um, you know, all the different ways that shame can come up. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of um, being able to detect it or kind of get to know how it appears or what triggered yeah. it. Um yeah, sometimes with clients, I, I, you know, yeah, we're we're kind of almost like a shame detector, like seeing where it is yes, coming in. Um, yeah, and one last piece that I wanted to kind of throw and get your thoughts on too is that you know, oftentimes I so one of the things I talk with my clients, I do a lot of work with ADHD with kids and adolescents and families and adults, and um, I talk about the way I think about it, the antidote to shame is integrity. Yes. But, by taking responsibility for what happens, uh, making amends or trying to learn from the situation and then taking the next step in the direction of your values that yes. we oftentimes can feel better. Because even though yesterday, and again, my clients with ADHD, they're gonna screw up one and a half standard deviations more than the average person due to the definition of ADHD. But even if they messed up yesterday and were late to work, whatever, at least the only thing they can do about it today is try to make amends, figure out a new system or something you know, and, and taking the next right step. Although what I've found too, is particularly when there's a lot of trauma and the person doesn't have a good sense of their self, 
that they have a hard time with that integrity to kind of measure, am I doing the right thing to do the next right thing? Or sometimes I think about growing up in the invalidating environment, like the parent hits the child and then the child's crying and they say, why are you crying? And the, they, they, it's a hard to develop your sense of self because your understanding and your kind of knowledge of reality is so thrown off. So many of these clients and Pete Walker talks about how internalized or toxic shame is the core piece of complex PTSD. That also it's hard to have that integrity if you don't have a measure of what is good enough or what is right. And yeah. so oftentimes that that just going back to that shame and and not up what's wrong or not. You know, I think it's so important, and I help my clients find an inner compass. And, you know, I help them kind of like talk about imagining that there was a, you know, there's an inner compass inside themselves that's going to point north and find, I help them through that, the guided visualizations, you know, find true north. But, you know, a lot of it, you know, I tell people that anytime there's shame or anytime there's difference, yeah. racial difference, uh, sexual difference, um, difference in age, difference in whatever. Anytime there's a slightest difference at all, there's shame. Mm -hmm. So to beware that people can be going into shame without even knowing it and just being aware to counter shame yeah. that it's normal. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody has it. Even, even somebody that's very confident, they still have the part of them that's like, oh, you're no good or you can't do it. But that other part of them comes in and it's compassion yeah. or acceptance or support or so on. Definitely. Well, great. Thank you so much for your time today. And I, I love talking about the subject with you. I think it's such an important piece and, and so many clients struggle with it. And, and there's so many different ways to look at it and approach and think about shame. Um, yeah. Sounds like you're doing wonderful work. And I'll also link to, uh, you know, the, the website where you have the workshops for clients and the workshops for therapists. Um, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for having me. And um to be, I feel like we're just starting this conversation of shame. I know there's so much, and for more, <laughs> definitely levels and levels and levels. Right. Take care. Okay, take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you for joining us. If you're wanting to use this podcast to earn continuing education credits, please go to our website at therapyonthecuttingedge.com. Our podcast is brought to you by the Institute for the Advancement of Psychotherapy providing in-person and remote therapy in the San Francisco Bay Area. IAP provides training for licensed clinicians through our in-person and online programs, as well as our treatment for children, adolescents, families, couples, and individual adults. For more information, go to sfiap.com or call 415-617-5932. Also, we really appreciate feedback, and if you have something you're interested in, something that's on the cutting edge of the field of therapy and think clinicians should know about it, send us an email or call us. We're always looking for the advancements in the field of psychotherapy to help in creating lasting changes for our clients.